The Business of Biotech is produced by Life Science Connect and its community of learning, solving, and sourcing resources for biopharma decision makers. If you're working on biologics process development and manufacturing challenges, you need to swing by bioprocessonline.com. If you're trying to stay ahead of the cell or gene therapy curve, visit cellandgene.com. When it's time to map out your clinical course, let clinicalleader.com help. And if optimizing outsourcing decisions is what you're after, check out outsourcepharma.com. We're Life Science Connect, and we're here to help. In my ongoing talks with the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies, both on the record and off the record, I hear a common refrain about the travails of cash management in an industry where the cost of doing business with other people's money is incredibly high and where spending can easily outpace development time and regulatory rigors. Those stakes are raised even further during the foray into clinical trials, where cash burn rates accelerate and the future funding picture, or lack thereof, comes into sharp focus. On today's episode of the Business of Biotech, we're zeroing in on resource allocation and cash management fundamentals with our favorite biotech finance management maven, none other than Alan Shaw. Alan, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks, Matt. Really great to be back here and um, look forward to um, talking about the topic du jour. Yeah, as do I, as do I. This is something that just keeps on coming up in, in more and more conversations I'm having. And it's enlightening as sort of someone looking into, you know, the four walls. It's enlightening uh, just how transparent some biotech leaders have been with me about their, I guess, lack of prescriptive knowledge, if you will, around cash management at different phases of of their, you know, new and emerging biopharma business. So I thought, boy, that would be a good topic to talk over with my old buddy Alan, because he's been down that road many, many times. So uh so so here we are. Uh but before we jump into it, is summer going well for you? Enjoying the summertime? I, absolutely. Like always, it's going a little too fast. But uh, certainly been enjoying the weather when uh, when the weather permits and uh, looking forward to the second half of it as we uh, as we move forward. Same here. I'm uh, you know, we, we need to look at the second half. I need to get out there and cast a line with you. Anytime. Let me know. We'll make it happen. So here's where I want to start. Uh, I want to start with some reflections from you on. Just some of the sound bites that I've heard in these conversations with uh, with emerging biotech founders and and CEOs, um, one in particular. So I, I recently, j- just last week, I had this conversation, a very colorful conversation with an unnamed veteran biotech COO, COO, Chief Operations Officer, who's worked in both big uh, bio and emerging bio, and his company is in a dramatic place right now. It's he's he's uh, the CEO of a company that is winding down. Uh, it, it ran out of money. <laughs> this was an off the record conversation. He was very frank with me uh, about the how and why uh, for the wind down. They ran out of money. Um, so I want to run some of his truths. And I, I say truths in, in in air quotes, you know, things that he believes to be true uh, past you. And I want to kind of get your take on each one of them and maybe wrap a nugget of uh, actionable advice around some of these if you can. So the first and some of these, you know, they, they sound pretty general, uh, but I want to dig into them. So so the first thing that I noted that he said was that scientist founders, scientist founders specifically, often waste money because they lack business acumen. 
you know, to me, I'm like, well, that's a sweeping generalization. Uh, but I can see where, you know, per- perhaps in some cases it might be true. What say you? You know, it's. It's funny because, you know, the cash management really starts at the top. Right. You know, and um, and I, I think it really comes down to your priorities and your focus. And, you know, it's a natural backlash from where we just came from, where the money spigot was wide open. And, you know, because the cost of capital was so low, people didn't have to make hard decisions because they could do everything. <laughs> it yeah. was about that simple. And, and, and now that the spigot is um, drying up, you know, it's really critical to kind of refine your focus and be smart about some of your priorities. And I, I think when you do everything, you didn't have to be focused and you didn't necessarily have to have priorities. And you didn't necessarily have to collaborate. So now it's an environment where you need to do more with less. So it actually, it starts actually at, at the top as opposed to the bean counters, you know, uh, or, or the back office. You know, I think it really looks at, you know, um, a lot of times now, I think people's eyes are bigger than their bellies and yeah. they're trying to do a lot more than they really should be doing. And, and, and so I think part of it is this kind of, you know, um, I guess it's akin to trying to put somebody in a, in a, who's a size 20 into a size 10, you know, it, it's not going to look right. You know, you need to kind of, uh, go on a diet. You need to kind of make that work and, and yeah. I guess really be in touch with both your masculine side and your feminine side. Yeah. Or, or elaborate on that a little, the masculine feminine side kind of, uh, analogy. Clarify you know, that for me. Sure. Happy to uh, further elucidate. You, you know, I think, you know, everyone has their aspirations, right? Um, but you also have to be in touch with what's practical and what's realistic in yeah. this in this environment. You can't necessarily do everything at once. You can't necessarily run all the studies that you want to run. You just got to understand what your limitations are and understand who you are, I think, is the, is the, is the bottom line. And, you know, before, when the punch bowl was out, you know, it was a lot easier because you could do everything. Now the bar has been raised. The market has become a lot more discriminant. And, and you can't just raise money. You need to bridge yourself to another place, to another data set, to another inflection point. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an adjustment. And if you're going, you know, if you're going on a long drive and everything that's in drug development is a long drive. You, you know, you need to make sure that you've got gas to get enough gas to get to the next gas station. And, you know, maybe you don't drive as fast. Maybe you take a shorter trip. You know, you, you've got to learn to work with what you have and, and learn to do more with less. It sounds like a, a marvelously, marvelously simplistic to me, like <laughs> like a simple a simple uh, problem to cause, but a simple problem to solve. So I'm going to I'm going to throw in. Yeah, I'm going to throw another one of these quotes that kind of segues in, into where I want to go next with the conversation. Uh, another quote, this guy said, early stage biotechs often spend on un- spend unnecessarily because they don't scrupulously budget the way a mature established company does. They're too fast and loose with their newly found indiscriminate buckets of cash. And he talked about, uh, you know, in a lot of those environments, they're not being, I guess, um, discretionary kind of buckets uh, or uh, silos of money for specific activities, but more sort of like a, a cash grab once the series a or series B as it were is uh, is in the coffers. 
Uh, is that true? I mean, do, do you see like a new and emerging biotech? Do you see situations where like there's literally um, sort of a lack of boundaries or around budget lines? Um, I would say it, it, I would, I guess to, to be clear, not typically. Okay. You know, Good. Yeah. I, I don't well, that's think a relief. It, yeah. I mean, I, I typically, yeah, you wouldn't see that. I was trying to look for the right way to kind of, uh, express myself on that, but t- no, typically you have a plan. I mean, investors will want to know what, what is the objectives of the series C, right? You know, you're, you're funding yourself to a certain point. I think what gets caught up in what was said is that I have seen and I've written and observed that people, when they have more, they are just less disciplined. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, if you if you have a a pile of cash in the bank, you're going to just be a little bit more liberal with how you deploy it. You know, if you're down to your, you know, fumes, you're going to be extremely vigilant. And I think companies really should maintain that vigilant attitude at all times. You know, that's that's an that's investors money. And the idea here is that you and it should not be taken lightly that when you take that money, there's an understanding that you're going to execute with that money and you're not just going to be throwing things against the wall. So there should be uh, a very deliberate operating plan uh, associated with those resources. You know, I think at the cause of the flow of funds, you know, the investors themselves may have been a little lack uh, in doing it because it was easier for them to write bigger checks than to do because it's it's almost the same amount of work for a small deal and a large deal. So, you know, for, if they're sitting on a lot of money that has to be put to work, it's easier for them. So, you know, there may have been a little frothiness that crept into all of this. I guess, again, it's a question of when you have more, everyone loses a little bit of discipline. But yeah, notwithstanding yeah. that, there should absolutely be a plan and, and measured. I think what happens is when you lose discipline, you know, you forget to ask uh, or lose track of some of the real tenants, like, like for instance, differentiation. You know, uh, it's really critical particularly an evolving and fluid commercial landscape uh, that you need to have innovative targets for patient needs. And and you need to really be mindful of, you know, the whole environment. And, you know, as you approach those things, you know, I think there's some fundamental questions that help inform resource allocation and priorities as well. You know, what is the competitive effectiveness of the standard of care? You know, are you just going for a marginal improvement? Or are you looking for really uh, a paradigm shift in terms of disease management? Is there a strategy for um, for developing the value proposition? You know, is there a, a life cycle plan? You know, where where do you where do you see the opportunity to grow that? That's changed a little bit with the IRA, but you know, it's still you want to start to understand at least market opportunities, right? The size of the markets, you know, before you know you could kind of take a small market approach and grow into it, you know. So now the way you develop drugs changes as well, and you need to be smarter about the indications that you pick and really reflect on that, on the timing and the pathway forward. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, those are questions that I'm not sure are always asked, 
you know, yeah. I mean, and I would just illustrate, you know, with over at least I'm, I'm sure there's less now because the capital as capital casualties. But, you know, at one point there were over 100 CAR-T CD19 companies, you know, I mean, how does that happen? Right. Those questions obviously weren't being asked at the time. So, you know, it's it's some in some cases the, these things were ill fated situations to start with. Differentiation. I want. I want to pause there for a minute and get a little. I don't know. Just go a little more, uh, a little deeper on that, and get a little philosophical kind of perspective. I mean, d- differentiation and and your pursuit of it can be a scary thing because it it forces you to face your truths. It forces you to look at the market, and it may force you, like in the case that you just uh, described, it may force you to look at the market and say, you know, boy, we're you know we're we're a me too. We're one of one hundred and thirty. Uh, Let's ask ourselves a hard question. Do we move forward with this or, or do we do we pivot? And that that can be expensive. So I'm in the context of right, a pivot can be expensive. Uh facing your truths and making changes can be expensive. Um so so I guess in the context of of seeking differentiation, what advice do you have around like how much to commit from a resource perspective to to the pursuit of differentiation? Like is is that potentially an expensive endeavor. I know I'm talking in general terms and philosophically here, but um, you know, anytime you gotta, you gotta face a hard truth like that, you might be looking at a a considerable business decision that costs money. Yeah. I, th- I think you got to kind of delineate between the, uh, the hypothesis and, and what needs to be done to kind of prove that hypothesis. It's easy to make claims, but then you got to try to figure out how do you run those right killer experiments early because yeah. once you let the program progress that's when you're really putting money out there so it's really running the right uh animal models and understanding how they might translate you know early on run those killer experiments just to answer those very important scientific questions uh as well as validate the thesis in terms of that level of of differentiation um i also think that if you make a wrong turn and you keep going down the road, it's still a wrong turn. You yeah. know, it, it, you know, I think a lot of times people really need to consider killing programs early. You know, I kind of view that addition by subtraction. You know, people get emotionally attached to these things. You know, they're concerned about the investment community. There's also a level of self-preservation involved. You know, so, you know, sometimes there's programs that I've observed that have that have no business being developed, but they continue for, you know, the reasons I, I, I suggested. Yeah. Um, um, I'm interested in your perspective on uh, the the reality of of cost and time, because this is another another quote this guy threw at me. He said new founders and CEOs don't understand that everything takes longer. Everything takes longer and costs more than advertised. Six months and $600,000 will turn into nine months and $750,000. He said that as if, as if it's a, a fundamental truth that, that CEOs and CFOs in the biopharma space should just subscribe to. If that's true, one, one I mean, do you, do you find that to be true? And, and two, if that's true, how does it affect your budgeting strategy? Um. I'd say in short that I find that things generally take longer and cost more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think we find that in a, a lot of aspects. I wouldn't just say it's in biotech. Try to do home improvement. It's going to hold you more and take longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, That's a, yep, something I frequently have to explain to my wife. <laughs> Justified to my wife. 
<laughs> exactly. So no, no different here. You know, I think in terms of COVID, you know, I think we've been finding uh, opening sites. You know, there's been a lack of resources. So opening sites, recruiting patients, it's been a little taken maybe a little bit longer um, than typical. But uh, I think, you know, to have, so how do you manage that? Right. If that's what reality is. And I think what you have to do is you have to consider that in your budgeting process. Right. You need to make sure that you're just not financing yourself to the milestone. You got to give yourself a little bit more wiggle room to that, uh, because otherwise you'll potentially come up short. And, and also on top of that, you know. There's no such thing as necessarily just-in-time financing, particularly if you're a private company. You can't pivot as quickly. Public company have some advantages, but at at the end, you know, if the data doesn't go the way you want, you also don't want to be caught completely flat-footed. So, you know, you need to kind of allow a cushion in in your financing runway and, and in terms of how you tend to capitalize the company. I think there's a tendency from what I've seen time and time again is companies, I guess, always think they can do do it with less money. And they always, they seem to hurt, negotiate against themselves. And again, because of the cost of capital, I understand the mentality is you'd rather ask for 15 instead of 20. But if 20 is really the right number, or maybe 30 is really the right number, you know, I think people have to rip the Band-Aid off and, and, and understand what they actually need uh, with cushion. And that's what you what you go for. Um, you know, I think this marketplace, particularly for smaller companies that are, are long on aspiration and short on data, um, you know, the cost of capital has gone very high that they can only get small tranches of cash at a time. And that kind of like death of a thousand cuts. It's not necessarily an optimal optimum way of, of capitalizing your company, but you know, it's, I guess you got to take what's on the table. Yeah. Um, all right. Here, here's another, another thing you said, I'm, I'm real interested in your response to this one because I know you're uh you know, you're, you're a CFO guy, but you're also a board guy. Um, he said small or new companies without someone in the chief operations or chief financial role, um, or he said, without someone good in a in a chief operations or chief financial role, are often sloppy with money because they turn to the board for financial guidance. He said, boards over oversee funds; they don't manage them. No, it's an interesting it's an interesting point. You know, the boards can you can get into a situation where you have too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, that that's one observation. You really don't want to let the board to in my opinion, to manage, right? That's, it's oversight. Boards serve as an oversight function. We can provide guidance uh, and, and, and direction, but you know, there's a fine line between board and, and management and you don't want to get necessarily get involved with the day-to-day activities. You know, boards approve budgets, boards approve strategic plans. So indirectly the boards have a, oversight on resource allocation but, you know, it's really at the end of the day, it's up to management to justify the expenditure in the business case and, and provide the recommendations for the board to, to, to review and challenge as appropriate and to be supportive. Um, so, you know, in terms of managing your resources, you know, again, I think it starts with the development plan. It starts with the CEO in conjunction with with the, the other functional heads. When you have a a flatter organization like uh, 
like like you're suggesting or your colleague is suggesting in terms of not having a COO or a CFO or or somebody really involved with the operational execution, you know, that then, you know, the I think there's a risk of accountability as well, you know, in terms of just operational execution. Um, but it should be done as part of a plan. And I think in terms of the folks involved, you know, I think you can effectively do it with fractional leadership initially. Again, it depends on the size of develop where you are in development. Um, if you're a public, non-public company, there's other responsibilities. But, you know, I have, as you know, I've effectively um, at times served as a, uh, a, I'd say, a fractional CFO. And, and I think that really speaks to the fact that a lot of companies need some adult supervision. They'd like to be able to build off of experiences of others, but they can't necessarily afford the cow. But there are opportunities to buy the steak and they don't necessarily need the whole cow. But, you know, I, I, I found that, you know, by by jumping into companies, um, it's been, I think, a lot of value added there because people don't know what they don't know. Uh, and it kind of goes to the spirit of, you know, the podcast itself. You know, there's there's, there's the business uh, of biotech, right? You're trying to make monetize these developmental activities and these uh, and these science experiments. And a lot of times these companies are generally led by scientists who don't necessarily really have blind spots to the business side of things, whether it's business development, whether it's the operational execution, you know, they can sniff out a good molecule, but, you know, can they even develop it and bring it to the market and, uh, and, and get reimbursement or, or, or position it, right? Develop it in the right way that, you know, big farmer or the people who know how to monetize it, It'll, it'll resonate with them. You know, where I've seen as successful is people have been able to reverse engineer the drug development based on the needs uh, of, of big companies. Um, so I think in short, you, you need good people around you. You know, how you resource it is a different question. Yeah. All right. One more, uh, one more hot take on, on some of this recent commentary I heard, and then we're going to jump into, um, some some fundamental advice for different I guess different phases of, uh, of fundraising on the new and emerging journey. Um, but speaking of adults in the room, uh, the, this guy said a detailed and realistic cash burn forecast is a powerful tool that goes a long way toward attracting new investors. But few new and emerging biotechs take the time to create one. You know, I, I think everyone should be doing it, you know, in terms of the prevalence of people not having a cash forecast. Uh, I've never seen a company without a cash forecast, you know, going back to your your friend's uh, observation. You know, sometimes it's garbage in, garbage out. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's only as good as the inputs at the end of the day. So, you know, it, it might it might speak to the fact that sometimes these things are done in a vacuum. And, you know, in terms of best practices, you know, it can't be my forecast. It can't. It's got to be everyone's forecast at the end of the day. And it's got and it requires all the different functional uh, inputs and considerations to make it a holistic forecast. And if that's not happening, you are going to have it's going to be garbage in, garbage out. But uh, what I would also say that's really, really fundamental relative to that is because I think you do need to have a good forecast. Um you need to have visibility in terms of your cash burn. 
And, and I think there's a couple of other things that you need to consider and overlay with that. I think you need to understand what are your um, development catalysts, you know, where are your milestones and kind of overlay that. You know, what I like to do is as a visual is I like to have like as a, as a, uh, on a, on a graph, you know, you have cash depicted on your uh, vertical axis and then you have the passage of time on your horizontal axis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you can see how the cash runs down over time. And then all what you do is an overlay on that. You look at your milestones, you look at your, what you anticipate. And you could see when you can potentially finance and you could see what you might need to do differently to get to. Uh, and I think that really helps guide and inform your financing strategy around your development plan and, and your milestones. And then, uh, and then between them, behind the milestones, you know, you should really have some visibility in terms of what your accrual rates are and how you're doing relative to those accrual rates to make sure your timelines hold. Because, you know, it's, I can pick a timeline out of the sky, but, you know, it, it, you know, if you're running a study, it's all about the patients. For emerging biotechs, scaling the process development and manufacturing of biologic molecules to clinical standards can be a challenging. However, you don't need to go it alone. Don't miss an episode of the Business of Biotech podcast, where we offer insights on regulatory, funding, and other essential topics. The pod is brought to you in collaboration with Cytiva, a global provider of technologies and services that advance and accelerate the development, manufacture, and delivery of therapeutics. Check out their resources at cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A.com backslash emerging biotech. Yeah, I think those those visuals, I mean, that's a that's a great visual that you provide. It's a perfect illustration. And, and I think probably those visuals over time, you could you could probably like reach back into your memory banks and and see a whole bunch of them, you know, that, that you've been involved in over time. So that's where I kind of want to take the conversation next and maybe get some fundamentals, like I said, that are sort of based on the the biopharma's continuum from discovery and development through through clinical. So um, let's, let's, uh, let's take for a minute, uh, a startup in a preclinical mode with a discovery that they want to take into development. They've secured a series a, um, you know, I mean, I don't know, again, it's subjective in general. They've secured a series a let's assume it's enough money that they feel like, yeah, you know, we can do this. Uh, let's talk about some <laughs> fundamentals. Let's talk about, you know, that could be $10 million for one company and it might have to be a hundred billion dollars for somebody else, but um, let's talk about some fundamentals uh, in in cash management for a company at, at that stage. You know, I, I guess I would take a step back and say, you know, understand what is the objective of those proceeds, right? Uh, what you know, how did you size that deal? You know, did did you just pass around a hat at, after you ran out of beer, or did you? Um, is there a plan associated with this that, you know, this is going to get you to IND? Is this going to get, get you? What, what are the, what are the investors expectations? Because that sets you up. It's almost like reverse engineering. You have to kind of figure out, okay, what do I need to do to raise my next round of money? Mm -hmm. and, and now, and you got, and then go about doing that. It, it, I think it's about that simple. And hopefully when you decide the round, the A round, you know, you, you provided enough runway to get you to the next set of inflection points. Uh, and that, that's got to be the plan. So, you know, with that said, I would make sure that I had a, a 
budget Gantt chart and the tools in place to, to know that, that this is how we're measuring ourselves. And these are the steps along the way to ensure that we get there. You know, it's kind of like establishing some guardrails. So you ensure that you don't go off the road um, and, and stay off of it too long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh what are like what, what who's involved in that? Like you, 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 uh, you know, you said establish some guardrails, sort of set up some rules. Uh, who's who's typically involved in in uh, establishing those parameters? You know, it would be the folks involved with that that stage of development. You know, you, again, you'd want to look at what what has to get done to get there, mm-hmm. and I think you got to involve those folks. Uh, you know, they 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 must have had input along the way to get you there. And, you know, now you just need to flesh out the plan a little bit. You know, I guess another way of looking at it, you know, I call them metrics. You can call them KPIs. You know, what what are we looking at that's, you know, it goes back to what are the questions that we're trying to answer? You know, when are we going to get that? Um, and what I, I and I think one way and there's different ways of doing it. You know, I find one way that also kind of keeps people on the straight and arrow is correlating that to the, you know, incentive pay. Uh, as well, you know, you can, you know, you take your strategic plan and, you know, make people own portions of that and the portions they own, you know, that's part of their, their individual uh, bonus target. And if they deliver, they get it. If they over deliver, they get better, you know, but I I think you try to kind of correlate your operating and strategic activities with everyone else's activities. Yeah. Is there any way to like, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I guess I'm looking for, I'm, I'm grasping for a, a concept around how to assess the cost to, to achieve those or, or hit those milestones that will then set you up well for your next, your next round of funding. Like I, I get all, you know, theoretically and fundamentally, I get all that. And maybe the, maybe the answer is Matt, you know, there's not <laughs> like, you got to figure it out as you go, but I'm trying to get my mind around, like, how, how do you, how do you assess? Like, okay, we, we know how much money we have. Uh, we, we know the milestones we need to achieve over the next six, eight, 12, 18 months, whatever it might be. Um, are there any standards or fundamentals or approaches or formulas uh, that that help you sort of assess what it's going to take from a cash management perspective or cash burn perspective to to yeah. get from one to the next? You know, I think you should have a lot of that before you raise the money, because yeah. if figuring that out after you've raised the money, that, that can be a problem if you, really, <laughs> okay. if you didn't do yeah. it right. Right. So yeah. I, I think that has to be kind of day one activity. I think then, you know, what are the tools and the processes to kind of make sure, you know, we talked about metrics, you yeah. know, certainly in terms of cash management, cash spend, you know, you can, you have your budgets and you run your actual results against your budgets. And, you know, if you're not spending, you're not executing. So you want to, you know, see that that's working, you know, again, things take longer. And, you know, what I like to do as part of the process, because things take longer and more, is I like to have, you know, at least on a quarterly basis, you, you do want to sit down with everybody and review how you do. And ideally, you can do it as part of your monthly management team, depending on your size of your company. But uh, but again, depending on your, you know, monthly, quarterly. But what you do is you, uh, what I've liked to adopt is a rolling forecasting process. So what you'd rather than doing a budget 
annually and you can do the budget annually. I mean, it's part of, you know, benchmarking and establishing yourself, but that, that like anything, it's static. And, you know, once you move a day to month two in the year, the budgets are no longer necessarily reflective of what it is. And I think in terms of managing the business and particularly having a forward look on, on things, I find it's helpful to have a rolling forecast that, that you're constantly updating. Mm-hmm. So in some respects, your budget is always being reflective you know you lock down the budget so you can measure how you performed but for right. as a management tool a cash tool i think the rolling forecast is really important to just see how you're doing and it gives you a sense of what your cash is and what your pr- projected expenses are relative to that yep all right cool good good sound advice there okay let's let's roll into uh, uh roll down the maturity uh, continuum a little bit. Now the same company just landed a series B. They did it right, right? Like they, they did it right. They got to, got to a series B uh, that they're using to fund their foray into the clinic. Um, and by the way, the, the, the fellow that I was telling you about earlier, the, you know, the, the sky is falling kind of guy who's winding his company down. He also told me that uh, clinical trials are the killer of emerging biotech. So in the context of that, right, like with that as our backdrop, this 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 uh, hypothetical company we're discussing is secured a series B. It's ready to move into clinical trials, you know, looming in the back of everyone's mind is that this is where, you know, uh, biotechs with the best intentions go to die. Um he said the, the the clinical trials are the killer of of new and emerging biotech not not because not so much because the science fails but because they're so expensive um so there's a you know that that looming daunting threat how do we make sure that our series b gets us where we want to go into clinicals you know it's funny because it's without you know it's it's uh it's, there's yin and yang with those clinical studies because, you know, our business is creating uh, clinical data, you know, as you've heard me say before, in, in, in God, we trust and data, we believe. Yeah. And, and I think in this environment, you're not talking about cash, you know, data rules, you can raise money with cash that isn't as prohibitive as if you're raising uh, without data. So you need the studies, you know, to your, your friend's point, I, I think uh, there's a lot that can be done in terms of improving clinical efficiency. Uh, certainly for larger indications, you know, when you're looking at the Alzheimer's and, 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 and uh, primary care type of indications, it's, 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 it's not for small biotechs for sure. Um, but I, I think it's also important about being focused on how you're, how you're developing things. Um, you need to manage the CROs as opposed to letting the CROs manage you. You know, I think there's a, that's a, mis- a common mistake that people make. And uh, the CROs are like lawyers. The one thing these organizations can do is they can bill. They know how to bill really well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's um, interesting. But so, so I, I, you know, so I think to his point, I think there's things you can manage, and I think you need to be a little bit more focused in terms of how you develop. You know, with biomarkers. So you know, I think you can really sh- shrink the size of your studies if you uh, and that doesn't require the same level of powering if you can be a lot more focused in terms of the phenotypes that you're targeting yeah yeah that's interesting too uh, i want i want to get back to the managed cro's don't let them manage you point you made um what are what are some of the i mean <laughs> obviously billing like you said you know, service service provision is like the you know that's the best place to be if you're a 
accounts receivable <laughs> associate. Um, you know, keep you busy. Uh, but what are some best practices around making sure that you're not being manhandled by a by a CRO? You know, I think you certainly have to have somebody internally own the CRO and, and, and engage with them. You know, a lot of people I think think, oh, I got the CRO doing it. It's kind of like manufacturing too. You may have a little empathy, right? The people think that, you know, oh, I engage somebody to do my contract manufacturing, but they forget that they own it. It's their obligation. It's their liability and it's their, it's their protocols. You know, you, you, you can't just wash your hands of it. So, you know, I think you need to hold them accountable. I think you need to have weekly meetings. You know, you have to get in front of the change order management. What they like to do is constantly put change orders in front of you. And, and you know, I think one one thing that I've seen effective is a kind of a cost sharing. You know, if you can kind of cap certain things, you know, um, you give them more money if they do their job as opposed to giving them more money when they're not doing their job. Yeah, yeah it's an interesting concept. I was reminded I was I I had a doctor's appointment yesterday. Nothing nothing serious, just some sh- shoulder issues, right? And uh, you know, it, I'll talk I, to I think about mine. I've got a lot of empathy for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, hey, we're not getting any younger. It ended up being you know entirely entirely age related. But anyway, the uh, the point I was going to make is that that relationship, like the doctor patient relationship, but the the CRO you know uh, sponsor relationship, kind of reminds me of the doctor patient relationship where. There's an expectation, at least I got the sense from, is a new doc, I hadn't seen him before. And I, I got the sense from him, there was an expectation, you know, that that he was going to control the conversation, control the cadence of the conversation, control the information that was exchanged in the conversation, because that's the norm in that in that relationship for him. And, you know, I went in with deeper, you know, <laughs> more voluminous questions that I think he was, he was used to. And I, and I kind of rocked, I, I guess I rocked the dynamic of that relationship a little bit for him in a, in a positive way, you know, it all ended, all ended well, but is that, is that sort of what you're indicating? Like, is it on the sponsor's part? Is it their responsibility to go in there and be like, you know, Hey, hey I'm going to, I'm going to turn this, the expectation of this relationship on its ear a little bit, because I need to express ownership and control to some degree of, of, of my candidate. I don't think you have to worry about crossing swords with them or anything in that in that way. I think they, you know, I find that, you know, again, there's different types of people in these organizations. You have the A players, the B players and C players. And, you know, depending, you, you certainly learn very quickly where you rank in the organizational's eyes in terms of who they've assigned to your project. So, you know, there's that there's that element to be able to discern and understand who you're dealing with. Um, and, and I think the important point is to understand that, you know, you're the sponsor of the study. It's your study. You know, you're going to live and die by the timing of the data. These guys don't have any skin in the game. They're 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 they might as well be bureaucrats, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, I think trying to align the timing and the pace of things up front uh, is helpful. But I think you have to ride these guys. And I think, you know, people should consider having, you know, um, uh, you know, research assistants and other people in from the company side to kind of augment the study, uh, just to, again to make sure that you're visiting the sites, that you're you're out there, and that you're just not relying on the CRO. Yeah, um, among among other considerations, but I, I think again you should understand what your costs are in, in advance. 
you know, you shouldn't get burned. I mean, yes, I would just say that, you know, the cost of drug development is expensive. You know, this isn't for the faint of heart. And, you know, it's capital intensive. And, and, and I find that a lot of reasons, that a lot of times people are having a hard time with dilution, you know, and I've never seen a company go out of business from dilution. And you need to make sure you have adequate cash resources, too. And that's why you need to make sure you have enough to get you to your next inflection point. Yeah. And and be willing to, you know, it's funny, but, you know, the markets determine the price of things and people don't like that. But when you go into a, a, a grocery store, do you do you? You know, the price of blueberries are what the price of blueberries are. And you generally pay whatever the going rate for blueberries are. You know, so if you're raising money, if that's what the rate is for uh, raising money uh, for a company with your profile, then that's what the cost is. And, and, you know, lesson learns, you know, every time you do things, you should certainly take a step back and say, what could have I done differently? You know, and I'd say the shorter answer is you should raise money sooner than you, you anticipate. Uh, because the longer you wait, it's only going to become more expensive. Um, and I think people forget that, that when you think about dilution, you got to think about the cost of capital in the context of that. Yeah. Very good. Um, I, I, I'm curious about your, uh, you know, you, you and I've talked a little bit about the strategic aspect of portfolio management, um, in, in terms of, I guess in the context of, of, of cash management and, and runway extension. Um, so can you talk about that a little bit? Like what, when, when, and where maybe is it appropriate, applicable, or in some cases perhaps begrudgingly necessary to play some portfolio management cards? I, I think a little bit of it goes back to what we were saying earlier about going on a diet, right? You need to kind of manage your runway. And, you know, if you're going to run a bunch of programs and you're going to run out of cash in the middle without any inflection points, you haven't, you know, you've really destroying value at that point. You know, you need, I think you need to, in certain points, decide, you know, which child do you like better? You know, yeah. you, you know, maybe it's a, just a matter of you send one college, kid to college this year and the other one is going to have to wait a little longer before he goes to college. He's going to have to work. Um, so, you know, there's some different ways of, of thinking about how fast you're driving your car, I, I think would be one. I think some of the questions that I raised earlier about, you know, differentiation, you know, how do your programs measure up against that? You know, is it competitive? Uh, is it versus the standard of care or is, is it is it um, going to be, uh, you know, is there a meaningful value proposition? You know, what is the net present value of the market opportunities of these in today's IRA in, environment? And you yeah. can try to identify which one. Some of them may also impact in terms of your financing plan. Which one is closer to data? You know, which one can you get to that's de-risking? And then off of that, you can capitalize the company as well as be able to then send your other child to college. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting in algae. I got, I got one going. I, the first one's going to college this in 18 days from today, in fact. So, yeah, thanks for raising my heart rate a, a little bit there, Alan. Uh, sorry for that, but it's, a, it's, it's good stuff. Real good yeah. stuff. You know, the other thing that we really didn't touch on that I think can help people is collaboration. You know, yes. um, 
you know, I believe that the shortest distance between two points is a shortcut. And I think collaborations can be really great in that regard. And again, it kind of goes back to understanding who you are as a company, given my earlier comments, because you need to kind of have a clear uh, focus of what your needs and goals are, a, a deep understanding of how to leverage your core expertise, and then really understand where the gaps are in terms of what you need, what you can do to drive your programs, and where can that be added from someone else? You know, it doesn't have to be done within all your four walls. And, and it can save time. It can save money. The money saved might even help send that second kid to college or at least, to, you know, community college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, so there's there's different ways to consider doing it. Also, if you've got again, if you, you're on a diet, you know, you can't necessarily um, develop everything. You know, you can pot by partnering with somebody. You can potentially get somebody else to validate one of your programs, one of your technology, if it's a platform that might not might be non-core. So by doing so, it provides you some, some additional capital uh, as well as validation, uh, which is certainly helpful in this marketplace. Yeah. Very good. Another, uh, another session full of, of meaty nuggets of, of wisdom and insight from Alan Shaw. I, I appreciate it. What am I, uh, anything I'm, I'm missing here? I think this was a, a thoroughly covered discussion, but if there's anything else you wanted to share or other, you know, concluding pithy nuggets of, of wisdom. You know, I would just say, you know, collaborate, collaborate and collaborate whenever possible. Remember core structure can be a lightning rod for self-inflicted wounds and it, and it needs to be proactively challenged. Innovation as a general principle, should go well beyond the science and apply to all aspects of an organization's operations. And simply put, it's about working smarter and not harder and overcoming institutional bias. You know, the bottom line, optimal deployment of organizational resources will inevitably become uh, an important metric in navigating this turbulence and separating the winners from the losers. Again, all, always, uh, always good stuff coming from Alan. I appreciate it, man. This is a good, good talk. And um, we're looking forward to having you on next time. We'll, we'll do some brainstorming on our topic for next time. In fact, I throw this challenge out to our, our, our audience. You guys have heard from Alan just about monthly since we started this podcast. Uh, what do you want to hear next? Let me know. Matt dot pillar at lifesciencesconnect.com shoot me an email let me know what uh what you want to hear from alan on and and that's what we'll tackle next time we meet alan i appreciate it you have an amazing uh rest of your week and, and i'm sure i'll talk to you again before summer's over but uh you take care of yourself and thank you so much for coming on uh, my pleasure it was uh really great to uh see you and uh always love talking about these things and uh to be continued enjoy the rest of your summer and uh see you soon thanks that's advisor to the biotech stars and portage biotech cfo alan shaw i'm matt pillar and this is the business of biotech we're produced by bioprocess online with the support of cytiva which demonstrates its support to new and emerging biopharma companies at Cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. If you like listening in on conversations with the best in the business, subscribe to the business of biotech. Sign up for our newsletter at bioprocessonline.com backslash B-O-B. And also be sure to leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And thanks for listening.